local and organic produce, natural groceries, nutritional supplements, and body care products. Chautauqua Natural Foods is open Monday through Saturday, 9 to 7, Sunday, 10 to 5, just off Town Square in Garberville. More information online, facebook.com backslash Chautauqua Naturals. All right, Ask Your Herb Doctor coming up. Stay tuned. name's Andrew Murray. My name's Sarah Johannesson Murray. Now, for those of you who perhaps have never listened to the shows, which run every third Friday of the month from 7 to 8 p.m., we're both licensed medical herbalists who trained in England and graduated there with a degree in herbal medicine, and we run a clinic in Carberville where we consult with clients about a wide range of conditions and recommend herbal medicine and dietary advice. So you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor on KMD Carberville 91.1 FM, and from 7.30 until the end of the show at 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in with any questions related or unrelated to this month's subject of the continuing research on urea. The number, if uh, you live in the area, is 923-3911, or if you live outside the area, there's a toll-free number, which is 1-800-KMUD-RAD, which is uh, 1-800-5683-723. And we can also be reached toll-free on 1-888-WBM-HERB for consultations or further information Monday through Friday. Okay, so uh, once again, we're very pleased to have Dr. Raymond Pete uh, joining us on the show to share in his latest research. Uh, Dr. Pete, are you there? Yes. Okay, thanks so much for joining us again. Um, as always, just like to start the show by uh, giving you uh, the opportunity here to let people know your academic and scientific background, um, what you do and who you are. Um, I got my PhD in biology uh, specializing in physiology and biochemistry, especially reproductive physiology, at the University of Oregon, 1972. And uh, uh, before that, I had been interested in uh, language, philosophy, and uh, psychology, and planned to study brain biology. But I, I found that uh, the reproductive physiology seemed more scientific and more interesting, uh, so I specialized in that, but continued to be interested in uh, the rest of the organism. And uh, 
So I, uh, first thing I did after graduating was to write a book on the brain, uh, uh, the, uh, reviewing uh, Russian science, 19th century to, through the 20th century on, on brain biology. And uh, so I've uh, continued interest in uh, how uh, the um, basic energy physiology uh, relates to things such as reproduction, aging, and uh, brain functions. Okay. All right. Well, I know that uh, your uh, most recent uh, newsletter, uh, you were continuing uh, your discourse and your thoughts um, on urea and its um, its use in pathology and how you um, see the function of urea as benefiting uh, people uh, in light of perhaps it being dismissed, if you like, uh, by mainstream medical uh, science. Um, I know that you mentioned uh, Danopoulos, the uh, Greek um, physician who's been successfully using urea as a therapy um injecting it into tumors uh, and its use in cancer but um, this uh, newsletter that you've most recently written uh, more explores some other physiological effects of urea that perhaps people might not um, have been aware of or if in fact the research has been done some time ago it may now be buried and forgotten so just wanted to pick up on uh, quite a few of the things that you mentioned in your newsletter uh, go ahead so Dr. can you tell us what urea is um, it, its uh, name chemically is carbamide. It's uh, just a combination of ammonia with carbon dioxide. And uh, so it's uh, the body's way of detoxifying ammonia, and it requires oxidative uh, production of carbon dioxide uh, to combine with the ammonia to get rid of it. And so it, it regulates uh, cell pH, uh, which regulates water metabolism and everything else in cell function. So it's something that our bodies produce? Uh, yeah. All right, so given, given that we now understand that excess water um, in the cell uh, is a central feature of the major degenerative diseases that you outline, things like heart failure, dementia, and cancer, how do you, how do you explain how this happens and, and what is the best strategy to prevent this? if uh, water accumulation in the cell is uh, implied in such an inflammatory situation as these things that we've mentioned? Uh, one of the dimensions of thinking about water in cells is that uh, it uh, comes up against some of the basic dogmas of what life is and how cells work and so on. And I think the reason that uh, Denopolis' uh, amazing results in curing cancer with simply injecting or giving intravenous urea, I think the reason it's been ignored and dismissed is that it uh, involves some ideas that don't fit with these uh, mechanical dogmas of 20th century biology, uh, such as the membrane theory, the idea that there are pumps in cell surface membranes mm -hmm. that uh, regulate the amount of water and minerals in cells by uh, somehow grabbing the molecules and pushing them in or out of the cell. Uh, it, it's uh, really a, a silly, impossible concept, but it's what everything uh, officially is based on. Uh, so uh, the, uh, when you actually look at the facts of 
of what's happening with water. It, uh, if, if you think in terms of uh, things such as uh, what happens when a gelatin gets wet and swells up, and if you put acid or, or alkali on it, what happens to its relation to water and so on. Uh, acid makes it shrink, uh, alkali makes it swell up, and uh, simple physical ideas like that uh, are uh, very useful for uh, thinking about what happens in all of the, the diseases. Okay, now you said acid makes it shrink and alkaline situations make it swell. Uh, yeah, and, and swelling uh, has an anabolic effect and turns on uh, cell division, and uh, uncontrollable cell division can produce uh, everything from uh, cancer uh, to uh, uh, oh, um, various uh, skin diseases, uh, dandruff, for example, psoriasis, uh, 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 overgrowth of, of fibrous tissue, uh, the uh, control of, of cell growth is uh, very deeply controlled by, by water and pH. And, and so the, uh, the membrane pump people uh, blame everything in life on this uh, magical pump that regulates uh, the water and the pH. But uh, if, if you just think about the basic metabolic processes in which you turn uh, sugar or fat or protein into energy and carbon dioxide, okay. uh, the, this constant streaming of substance, uh, the carbon dioxide is an acid, and you're making it inside cells, and so you're, uh, uh, when you're alive, you're uh, making cells acidic, mm-hmm. and uh, as it leaves, it takes minerals out of the cell with it in the form of carbonic acid uh, and the uh, alkaline minerals associated with it. Well, this is the better state than the alkaline state, though, right? Um, yeah, the, um, the alkaline, uh, the, the acidic state produced by carbon dioxide mm-hmm. uh, causes a shift in the whole balance of electrons in the, uh, the protein, fat, nucleic acid uh, system. And that shift of electrons uh, accounts for the preference of the cell for um, potassium normally over sodium. Okay. If the cell is disturbed, then it shifts and loses so loses potassium and takes up calcium and sodium. Um, uh, this is what Gilbert Ling has devoted his life to for the last sixty some years. Because so, sorry, did, I just wanted to say that this. Uh, I guess for people that are listening, I think a lot of people in the lay. Uh, lay people um, associate this kind of as what we're talking about acid versus alkali they're always thinking about or an acid situation is more cancer promoting and to be alkaline is a better situation in terms of uh, health benefits and that's true when you apply it to the blood and the fluid outside of cells right but the reason the fluid outside of cells is alkaline is that the uh, protons uh, the, the electrons are being uh, retracted into an acidic state inside the cell, and uh, that shifts uh, the balance 
and uh, makes it alkaline outside. Right. So what you're saying is when the cell inside, and then when the inside of the cell becomes alkaline, that's when it becomes swollen and boggy, and that's what can contribute to heart disease, cancer, yeah. psoriasis, all these degenerative diseases we've mentioned. And, and that goes with a, a shift towards acidity in the blood and the outside fluid. Right. Uh, so that's where Got it. Uh, people Got it. are thinking about <laughs> you don't want to be uh, acidic metabolically. That that refers to the fluids outside of cells. And it's only since the uh, nuclear magnetic resonance uh, apparatuses have been uh, used the last uh, 40 years mostly that people have started to recognize that inside cells should be slightly acidic. Right. So how do we make the inside of our cells more acidic and keep the outside of our cells, extracellular and the blood, alkaline? Uh, Keeping the energy flowing, uh, producing carbon dioxide constantly by consuming oxygen. So we need our cells to be consuming oxygen properly. Yeah, and uh, just suffocating, just turning off the oxygen supply so you stop making a steady supply of carbon dioxide, the metabolism shifts over to making lactic acid, and the lactic acid takes uh, acid out of the cell as it's uh, leaving and acidifies the environment but leaves the cell more alkaline. Right. Huh. And, that's, and that's a negative, that's a negative uh, acidic situation that most people commonly uh, refer to when they talk about acid versus alkaline blood. Yeah, it's a, yeah. a local... Uh, inflammatory situation. Anytime a tissue is injured, it tends to produce excess lactic acid and uh, become inflamed and inefficient. So how does urea help our cells use oxygen better? Um, the, um, uh, or to keep the cell more acidic? The um, cell holds its uh, structure by Uh, the way proteins are folded, uh, which requires an interaction with the... uh, Everything in the cell has to participate in that slightly acidic state, making carbon dioxide, uh, keeping the ATP level at a high energy state, um, um, keeping the water uh, participating in the way proteins are folded so that there's a lot of internal surface area exposed in the cell. Uh, you know how the uh, surface of a, a glass of water has a sort of rubbery uh, film on the top that you can float a, a piece of steel or such on the, the surface tension. Inside the cell, when the proteins are energized, the ATP is holding them in this state, exposing their surface keeping the cells water in that energized, tough state that uh, helps to hold the, the cell together. Um, when it's de-energized, the, um, the structure collapses in, in various ways. For example, uh, spherical proteins that were exposing all of their surface polymerize into stalk-like proteins that have less surface exposure, and the water becomes more like plain bulk water under the tough surface. And uh, this water then uh, 
behaves very differently, and that's the kind of water that is involved in cell swelling, uh, growth, uncontrolled cell division, and so on. It's also the pH inside the cell also uh, regulates the uh, protein's uh, folding ability uh, to a a large degree, that um, proteins don't conformationally fold properly in the wrong pH. Um, Yeah, and it's uh, in the case of... uh, of uh, any protein, uh, jelly, even some synthetic plastics, uh, the uh, alkalinity has the same effect right. of uh, making the, the jelly swell up and, and uh, get watery and soft. Right. So again, another another reason why the uh, alkaline internal environment would not be helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, inside the cell. Inside, inside yeah. the cell, yeah, yeah. Let's the just, urea... Let's clarify that happens to be a, a strange kind of, of solvent that uh, is pretty much uh, equally at home inside and outside the cell, but it's slightly more at home in a healthy, stable cell. So that just by solubility, if you immerse cells in a solution with a certain amount of urea, the urea is going to come to rest at a higher concentration in cells, no no pumping is involved. Mm-hmm. It's simply that it's soluble in the cell at a slightly higher degree than in plain water. And inside the cell, it participates with the relaxed or energized state of the cell in which surfaces is exposed. So the urea helps the proteins to expose the um, energized surface that uh, keeps cells in the functioning high-energy state. And that's how Denopolis helped with cancer was by injecting the urea into the cells and that helped them maintain their shape and function to a better degree? And and to keep it towards the slightly acidic metabolizing uh, state in which it doesn't uh, tend to uh, proliferate a relatively... uh, slightly dehydrated effect. Uh, so it, it's like you have now a new uh, solvent, solute uh, substance when, when it has the right amount of uh, urea mixed in with the proteins and fats and water. It, it creates a, a new state of, of matter that has its own uh, solubility properties for other things, including uh, the preference for potassium over uh, sodium and for magnesium over calcium and so on. Right, so it's helping the mineral balance of the cell be more balanced. Now, I think you also stated that um, urea itself is not an osmolite and it does not affect pH. Is that right? Um, Yeah, uh, that's been known for over 100 years. Uh, People simply uh, use the... uh, the semi-permeable membrane setup and found that uh, it doesn't uh, behave like a, a sodium or, or potassium or uh, other things that are known to be osmolites uh, and to uh, uh, pull water across a semi-permeable membrane and so on. Uh, in 1914, I think it was the first one, but uh, around the First World War, uh, someone was demonstrating uh, that the um, you could make it five or six times more concentrated 
then it should be osmotically, and it would be in balance and not cause cells to lose water. Right. It would hold the, the cell in the proper state, where if you uh, had five or six times the concentration of uh, sugar or salt, hmm. uh, you would dry up. You'd be in trouble. Wait, when you put salt on the slug, it, it yeah, right. drinks it. Takes all the water out of it. But okay. So presumably a, a slug wouldn't mind concentrated urea. Interesting. And I think uh, I think you've also mentioned that uh, that concentration five to six times is nothing as much as, uh, say, a hundred times, which is still compatible with life. It doesn't actually, it's not, has a very, very low toxicity. It's not at all toxic, is it? Uh, no, uh, and the uh, sea or organisms, uh, sharks, for example, have a very, very high level of urea imbalance. Is that right? Uh-huh. And the experiments have shown that even more than a hundred times what oh. we normally have uh, doesn't cause any uh, damage that can be seen in, in cells. And therapeutically, uh, Danopolis and others have found that uh, maybe a, a hundred times our normal uh, urea level in the serum is actually therapeutic for uh, certain things, cancer and, and uh, brain function, for example. Wow. Because I, I think there's quite a lot of uh, uh, references to urea uh, from the scientific, quote, scientific community that are not really interested in it or just, uh, just trying to play it down as being irrelevant. And they have uh, urea analogues, I think, which are far more problematic that uh, they would want to uh, want to suggest or even not even mention urea. Um, sickle cell anemia, for example, mm-hmm. was being treated uh, successfully with urea. Uh, it, uh, and uh, normal cells under stress uh, are, tend to be hardened the way sickle cells become stiff okay. and won't go through capillaries. Right. Uh, just during heart surgery, uh, the stress causes uh, or ordinary uh, round uh, blood cells to, to become uh, stiffened and malfunction, tending to kill the patient. And with a supplement of urea, that hardening of the red cells by stress is prevented, and it, it was uh, therapeutic for the, the uh, sickle cell patients. But uh, because of the myth of uh, urea being an osmolite, uh, someone uh, used plain urea at a certain concentration without the normal uh, sodium and other minerals in the, the uh, solution and found that it broke immediately caused red blood cells to break down so they said that can't be good good. they stopped using it and shifted over to very toxic carcinogenic hydroxyurea which is still in use so uh, but you do know doctors that use this uh current day right um there are publications currently uh recommending its use uh, hydroxyurea but did, did mean Using real urea? Oh yeah, I was I was meaning the real urea. A, a, a few people are using it, for example, uh, to prevent killing patients in heart surgery, but it definitely isn't a, a well recognized treatment. Now, did you say? Did I understand you correctly when you said that uh, urea, in the absence of the other electrolytes, would have a uh, negative effect and. Um, that um, yeah, it acts like distilled water as right. far as the osmotic property uh-huh. goes. 
So it has to well, be osmotically balanced with the regular concentration of solutes that you'd normally find in blood. It, it would take about six times as much urea as, as normal to uh, uh, not break down the red cells. Interesting. So if you, whatever they, uh, I'm not too sure what it is, but for example, just for people that are listening to understand the concept that I'm trying to uh, describe to you and that you're describing to me, is that if you have, for example, a one millimolar concentration of urea in your blood normally, then if you were to inject a five or six millimolar concentration of urea into the capillary or into the artery or whatever, um, it wouldn't have a negative effect. It would be acceptable. But if it was injected as a one millimolar solution which you'd find naturally in the blood that would have a pro- you'd have a problem with that um, yeah uh, assuming that the uh, other uh, things like sodium and, and uh, calcium and potassium are uh, compensating for the uh, the difference in urea okay so what about taking it orally um that's been done also for um, over a hundred years uh, treating heart failure and uh, one person reported on, I think he, he said he had had heart failure patients doing well on oral urea for as long as nine years. Wow. And this is because it's an, a diuretic and it's... Uh... Um, yeah, that was the argument that they were using it uh, okay. because it did relieve the, the swollen legs and such uh, that occur in uh, congestive heart failure. Hmm. Uh, but uh, I think it since you you also see it uh, bringing people back from brain damage mm-hmm. uh, in a traumatic head injury and strokes and such, it, I think, has much deeper therapeutic effects, uh, stabilizing cells in many ways, yeah. not, not just reducing the uh, swelling by causing diuresis. Okay, well, you're listening to um, Ask Your Rep, Dr. KMUD 91.1 FM, Garberville. Uh, this month, uh, Dr. Pete is... Um, being questioned uh, about his latest uh, newsletter on uh, urea. I know we've mentioned uh, urea and uh, a Greek physician, Dr. Danopoulos, uh, several months back in his uh, treatment of cancer. But uh, this month, uh, we're going to be talking more about the other uh, benef- beneficial aspects of urea uh, and uh, certain other uh, inflammatory conditions, uh, dementia, cancer, etc. We'll be bringing out some of the reasons uh, how urea could actually be very helpful for this. Uh, the number, if you live in the area, is 923 2513. Uh, 923, sorry, beg your pardon, 923 uh, Or there is a toll free number, which is 1 800 KMUD RAD. So from 7.30 till the end of the show, people are invited to call in with any questions. Uh, it would be good if people could keep to the subject matter. Um, okay, so anyway, uh, the other question I wanted to ask you about the diuretic activity of urea. And you've mentioned it um, being useful in congestive heart failure and other edema-type uh, water-swelling situations because of its ability to uh, mobilise water. Do you do you um, do you have any um, any comparisons, if you like, and for traditional diuretics? I know that they used to be. Uh, non-potassium sparing, and then they they brought out these kind of loop diuretics that were potassium sparing. Well, I mean, the common furosemide that's still used is not mm-hmm. potassium sparing, and you have to take a potassium supplement with that. So, yeah. how, how do you uh, are you are you able to answer that? Whether you th- um, have any um, opinion about um, diuretics and uh, use versus something like urea? Yeah, I have opinions, but I haven't 
finished thinking about the, the subject. You remember, mercury was a <laughs> traditional diuretic, and it apparently worked just by sort of killing the uh, the tubes of the kidney and letting the water kind of fall out of the body. Yeah. Not to be recommended. Well, and like, you know, radiation <laughs> was useful for treating uh, psoriasis. X-rays were useful <laughs> for treating psoriasis and arthritis, right? Yeah, and I, I think the um, some of the chemical uh, diuretics uh, are about as well-founded as mercury as right. diuretics. Right. The chemicals that made the kidneys uh, give up more water uh, don't necessarily really improve the person's health. Right. Um, the uh, cells could be still holding onto the water and not... Uh, yeah, and um, besides stress, uh, it, uh, for example, in, in uh, heart surgery, it uh, involves water retention, failure of, of the kidney function, leading to uh, things like hardening of the uh, red blood cells and uh, stiffening of the capillaries and so on. But any stress involves a, a, a series of reactions, all of which relate to the way cells handle water. Nitric oxide is a universally produced thing by injury and stress, and it causes de-energizing and uh, swelling of cells. And uh, estrogen is a physiological uh, producer of swelling, uh, imitating a stress reaction and being produced by stress. And the um, uh, one of the brain or pituitary uh, hormones, antidiuretic hormone, is another stress-induced uh, producer of water retention and edema. And old people, as well as... Uh, traumatized people who are hospitalized uh, fairly often uh, develop a state of water retention with sodium loss. Uh, they call it hyponatremia or the syndrome of inappropriate uh, antidiuretic hormone secretion. Um, but uh, estrogen happens to uh, produce the same effect, and so they say estrogen uh, activates the receptors of the antidiuretic hormone when you can't find the actual hormone but the same conditions they say it's because the receptors are acting independently and um, nitric oxide estrogen and antidiuretic hormone uh, produce the state of getting waterlogged mm -hmm. while losing uh, sodium into the urine and producing uh, fairly concentrated urine, but um, keeping uh, over-hydrated uh, cells and uh, blood supply. Um, and the, the uh, normal basic thing that regulates the ability to release water uh, through the kidneys while retaining sodium is the particular energized electronic state of the cells. Uh, governing the, the way the, the, the tube of the kidney uh, electrically relates to its surroundings. Uh, the production of carbon dioxide and carbonic acid, uh, the um, uh, uh, carbonic anhydrase enzyme, is one of the targets of uh, some of the diuretics.
such as acetazolamide. Mm -hmm. So that the body retains more carbon dioxide and doesn't lose so much sodium. Um, and the normal uh, uh, regulator of, of carbon dioxide and, and so of sodium water balance is the thyroid hormone. And hypothyroid people uh, always tend towards this syndrome of uh, inappropriate uh, antidiuretic hormone secretion or the appearance of simply hyponatremia uh, being waterlogged, oh, having yeah. enough water, not enough sodium. Hmm. So, and, um, so the sodium itself, uh, sodium chloride or sodium bicarbonate, uh, can cure a lot of these uh, stress conditions. Do you think the same waterlogging could be borne out in things like a, a boggy intestine or a swollen intestine that fails to uh, move food along properly and contributes to uh, endotoxin reabsorption because of the uh, inefficient movement? Uh, yeah, the, the intestine is especially exposed to uh, things such as endotoxin, which release nitric oxide, which um, has this de-energizing swelling effect, waterlogging effect. So bicarbonate of soda you mentioned just before I uh, interrupted there was uh, would be another good um, good way of liberating CO2 and then uh, get taken internally would have a local topical activity too. Yeah, and uh, surprisingly it, even uh, sodium chloride has a diuretic effect in most people. And uh, when you use the baking soda, uh, the kidneys are able to uh, retain as much sodium as they want, but the, the bicarbonate can be changed back into carbon dioxide, and uh, it can actually help to acidify cells on the inside uh, while maintaining uh, the, uh, the sodium on the outside. So that's something people can just swallow by the quarter teaspoon or half teaspoon mixed with water? Um, yeah, um, I know people who have taken a teaspoon two or three times a day with water for many years. Um, athletes sometimes take a, a tablespoon with water before an endurance race. And uh, I think part of the effect on endurance is uh, more basic than uh, just preventing uh, getting waterlogged. I think it's actually helping to... Uh, prevent excess nitric oxide production. And uh, am I not right in thinking that the uh, endurance runners, marathon runners, uh, some some of these people collapsing from cardiac arrest are um, hyponatremic, uh, so they're low, they suddenly get low sodium? Yeah, I think that's probably the most common reason for um, endurance runners collapsing huh. and dying. Huh. Okay, well, you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor, uh, KMUD Garberpool 91.1 FM, and from now until 8 o'clock, uh, you're invited to call in with any questions uh, surrounding this month's uh, continuing topic of urea and its treatment in such things as uh, cardiac illnesses, uh, dementia, uh, cancer, uh, and we'll get into a few others here later on. Uh, the number, as like I said, 923-3911, or if you live outside the area, there's a 1-800 number, which is 1-800-KMUD-RAD. So going on to um, aging um, seems a little bit uh, just in, indistinct perhaps from this month's subject, but in terms of um, 
the concept of hydration and skin and the appearance of skin and the water content of cells uh, not necessarily being helpful but being more detrimental and in, in a low energy state um, I wanted you to uh, just discuss the, uh, the, the the idea of young in you know, young babies and newborns and young uh, teenagers and adult uh, young uh, young adults having a kind of a fairly plump healthy skin that's fairly thick uh, I don't want to confuse that with the skin being boggy because that would seem to imply that there's too much water in the cells but um, in terms of the aging and youth and the skin's appearance and the production of keratin which is that kind of flaky layer that may be more associated with older people um, is there anything perhaps that can be done um, to improve the quality of the skin that would uh, be related to uh, water um, the, the plumpness is uh, largely uh, the water content of any cell, uh, all the way from a fertilized ovum all the way to a 100-year-old person. Uh, the cell water content decreases pretty steadily with aging until uh, an old cell, which is still uh, very functional, uh, no disease evident, is uh, pretty dried up relative to the uh, 92% water of fertilized ovum. It gets down to something uh, like 65% uh, water in old cells uh, as a steady progression without any particular disease happening. Mm -hmm. And as that happens, uh, cell division is slowed uh, so that in your skin, uh, over time, the uh, you see fewer cells in the skin, meaning that it's thinner. Uh, there just isn't as much uh, living skin there in old people. Uh, the column of growing cells in the, uh, uh, the surface layer, the, the squamous epithelium of uh, skin and uh, mucous membranes, uh, there's a column of eight or ten growing cells in the young skin and only um, maybe two or three cells that are still actively growing in old skin and uh, that's uh, partly just because they're they're slowing down but they're also uh, the um, piling up uh, collapsed cornified or, or keratinized cells uh, accumulate in the old skin uh, the um, maturing process uh, comes on prematurely um, in, uh, with, with aging uh, or with um, some types of stress. For example, a vitamin A deficiency uh, will cause premature uh, keratinizing or hardening of, of the um, skin, and the skin uh, will become uh, thinner and uh, tougher, uh, lower water content. Um, estrogen does this normally cyclically in the uh, mucous membranes, uh, causing uh, uh, at first a faster growth because there's a greater water uptake under the influence of estrogen, uh, a rapid thickening and growing, but then uh, uh, an increased formation of keratin fibers and hardening so 
some of the effects of estrogen are just like vitamin A deficiency. And uh, you can offset some of the effects both of aging and estrogen by simply supplementing some vitamin A and vitamin E directly into the skin. Uh, and urea, old skin has much less urea in it than young skin, uh, and uh, that's probably uh, both both the cause and effect of, of the uh, lower water content with aging. I, we do have another call, well, not another, we have the first call on the line, so let me hold you there, Dr. Pete, if you don't mind, and let's take this next call and uh, see where we're going. Hi, caller, you're on there, and where are you from? I'm from Whitethorn. Okay, hi. Hi. Um, my dad is in the hospital right now with CHF and dementia and also interactions between his medicine for mosamide for the diuretic and gabapentin and one for his uh, heart, too. But his lactic acid was normal, but the creatin was not normal. And I'm wondering if the oil urea would be better for him to take with the uh, and not take the, the fluorosamide. Dr. Pete, uh, um, there, there are, you can find articles about the use of uh, urea in heart failure and uh, comparing it to other diuretics. On PubMed, for example, if you put in urea heart failure, you can find the articles on PubMed. Okay, thank you. So w- would that be something he could use um, orally? Uh, it's um, very tasteless, uh, a little um, maybe on the salty side, so it, it's usually taken with orange juice or grape grapefruit juice, uh, just so you don't taste it. Uh, a small amount, anywhere from a fourth of a teaspoon to a glass, up to maybe a teaspoon per glass. Okay, good. Would it be okay to take that with his uh, diuretic is already prescribed? Um, I don't think it interferes with uh, the diuretics, but it just makes them unnecessary. Okay. Well, that's good to hear. Okay. I, I thank you for for helping me. All right. Thanks for your call. Uh, we've got two more callers on the air, so let's take the next caller. Caller, you're on the air. Where are you from? Yes, hello. Uh, so and so. Oh, hi. Um, yes, I would like to, uh, to know... Um, what one should ingest to uh, make the um, the cells more acidic on the inside and the blood better, you know, more alkaline on the outside, like you're saying, is good for you? Uh, protein. How, uh, you say that ingesting this urea is good? Uh, getting adequate protein in your diet is probably the thing that most people could make the biggest difference with. Oh. That increases urea, you're saying, Dr. Pete? Um, yeah, the, the, you can measure the increased uh, output of urea in the urine in proportion to the amount of uh, protein you're eating if your digestion is good and if your thyroid function is good. Then you so, can like eating it. red meat is good for that? Um, it shouldn't be too high in phosphate. Meat is very high in phosphate. Oh. And, and so gelatin is good as a supplement uh, if you make soup with uh, uh, the uh, collagenous uh, uh, joint 
tissue, for example. Uh-huh. Like oxtail or oxtail, shank. Oxtail, yeah. Do, do you recommend uh, then just eating a little bit of meat and not too much? Is... Yeah, I, I think it's better to get a big part of your protein from other foods, such as uh, like what? Eggs, milk and cheese and uh, uh, some uh, eggs? of the high-quality vegetables like potatoes and mushrooms. Eggs, milk and cheese, potatoes, mushrooms, those are some high protein. Are eggs good? Yes. Uh, eggs, very good. Okay, and um, you mentioned sodium chloride. Uh, that's salt. Is it good? Is salt good for for your heart or for your blood or what? What were you talking about? Is is uh, salt? You know, putting salt in your food good? There are some articles on my website about salt. You can use the little search device on the website to find. I don't have a computer. I'm. Oh, um, uh, yeah, salting your food to taste is the best way to tell. And that will keep your kidneys functioning better? Um, yeah, in, in people who are under stress, for example, uh, women with toxemia of pregnancy. Well, what about just in, in general, just normal, uh, you know, yeah. aging and wanting to keep uh, as, as healthy as you can when you're getting older? Yeah, I've uh, known uh, many young women and a few old people who uh, had been put on a low-sodium diet because of various problems. And uh, using the studies on pregnant toxemia people, uh, I suggested that they try the same thing. Now, and, what about potassium? What does that do for you? Are you I know low potassium isn't good. Um, too much potassium can uh, slow your heart rate, but it, uh, the right amount, uh, such as having lots of fruit, and, and vegetables, uh, potassium tends to uh, protect against high blood pressure, relaxing blood vessels. So as you were saying, Dr. Pete, you were saying that using the studies they did with the pregnant women, you can uh, apply yeah. the same principle to aging? Yeah. I, I, I saw the, uh, the same problems existing in women in their 20s and 30s and men in their 60s, 70s, and 80s uh, having a... a a variety of uh, inflammatory, high blood pressure symptoms and such. And I suggested that they salt their food to taste instead of uh, low sodium diet. <laughs> yes, I know there's a lot of controversy about salt, and we've been taught a lot that salt is bad, it causes high blood pressure, it causes water retention, so you don't think that's true? Well, they've disproven that, and they only started saying you shouldn't eat salt when they wanted to sell their diuretics, so it's just been all one, one big scam. Uh, okay, well, I've had one cardiologist tell me not to eat salt, although she didn't want to give me a diuretic, and the other one said, yes, eat salt because it will keep up your blood volume, and that's probably good for you. Uh, yeah, the blood volume gets oxygen and nutrients to the kidneys and keeps them working. So hydration is very important. Yeah. But what about the first question I asked about the cell, to, get, to make sure that the inner cells are acidic enough? Well, that was the protein. That's why he suggested the protein, oh, because protein that will keep the that. urea oh. up. Okay. Yeah. So eat protein, eat salt, but not too much meat. I know yeah. that there was a, a, there's a gout is supposed to be caused by eating too much meat. I'm not sure what gout is. Well, doctors aren't too sure what it is either, but the essential thing, people can have a lot of uric acid crystals in their body without having any symptoms at all. It seems to be endotoxin from an inflamed intestine uh, 
getting deposited on the crystals of uric acid, uh, causing the symptoms. Uric so we acid. want to have urea, but not uric crystals? Uric acid? Um, yeah, urea uh, is protective, uric acid. Uh, okay, so that's, right. by eating a proper amount of protein is the good thing to do for that, you're saying? Yeah. And Okay. All right, thank you very much. Thank Thanks, you for your call. Okay, we do have another uh, caller on the line, so let's take this next caller. Call away from? Willow Creek. Hi, what's your question? Okay, I've been, uh, I've had water retention problems uh, ever since I ha- was pregnant with my first child. Okay. And I do have an underactive thyroid, and they always tell me not to eat any salt. And then I went to a healer like a few months ago, and he told me that, that I should use um, this, uh, oh, it's a, a salt from France. I forget what it's called. But anyway, um, so I did, but I was still swelling up, and I'm on, um, I'm on uh, diuretics. How much, you know, how much so thyroid are you using? How much what? How much thyroid? Did you say you were using thyroid? Oh, yeah, thyroid pills, yeah. I, I think like, I don't know, one, no, 100 milligrams or something, one gram. Of Synthroid or? And you said that you uh, were... Levothroxin. Yeah. You said yeah. that you had water retention since your first child. How, yes. How many years, how many My years first since? first pregnancy. Yeah. Oh, that was 45 years ago. 45 years ago. Dr. P. Yeah, so I've had it all these years, and my mom had it, and so did my grandmother. Um, for quite a while, it's been known that estrogen interferes with the conversion of levothyroxine into the active hormone, and that accounts for why women have about five times as much thyroid problems as men do because of the interference of estrogen with activating it. And so illogically, uh, doctors uh, prescribe thyroxine to women without measuring uh, the uh, liver function of producing the active hormone T3. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't think I've ever had a test for that. So it's, to, it's, it's, it sounds like you're not using the uh, the right kind of uh, hormone, so the, 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 thi- the levothyroxine that you're on uh, is it, probably being blocked the conversion of it to the active hormone is more than likely getting blocked because of high estrogen, so you'd be better off using a T3 supplement, which does not need you to uh, perform the conversion. So you basically uh-huh. are still, you're probably still low thyroid, even though you're taking thyroid hormone, because you're not well, converting they, it. Yeah, well, according to their tests, I'm normal now well, on they, the they would, Yeah, there's a lot of uh, controversy about the uh, thyroid test. The TSH that's used as a measurement is very poor science uh, and whilst the TSH may be in the range uh, you probably find it's on the higher end and actually your uh, temperature and pulses would be much more indicative of your thyroid performance oh what do you mean by temperature high or low uh, probably low temperature and uh, falling temperatures I tend to have a low temperature mm-hmm. and then obviously <laughs> obviously things like stubborn weight gain lack of energy insomnia very lack of energy. Mm-hmm. Very, it's gotten worse yeah. this year. No really, really bad. And I went to the doctors for it, and they said they can't find any problem. 
Well, it's probably just that you're not turning the thyroid you're taking into an active form that your body can use. So it's probably, that's probably uh, the base problem, and that's very common to occur so after if I pregnancy. I to get that test, do I have to ask my doctor to do it for me? Uh, do I have but, to request it? Yeah, you could, but like you said, you know, you're probably falling within, you fall within the reference range for supposedly normal, but actually your, your physiology and your symptoms are far from. So yeah. I'm not too sure how relevant getting another blood test would be. I think more relevantly uh, would be if you were to take your temperature and pulses. It's a little bit outside the scope of uh, the radio show because we do have other callers calling. But yeah. if you wanted yeah. to, if you wanted okay. to, you can always contact us outside of business hours. Um, I can discuss with you uh, how you would take this and you can see for yourself uh, whether or not okay. your metabolism. So I would go on the, the website then for that? Uh, no, you can it's call fine. us. You, you can call us Monday through Friday. I'll give the number out at the end of the show. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Okay. You're welcome. Okay. We have another. Right, we have another caller on okay. the air. So let's take this thank next caller. Thank you for your call. Hi, you're on the air. Where are you from? Yes. Hello. Yeah, you're on the air. Where are you from? Yes. Hello. I'm from Bellevue, Idaho, and uh, my question is: uh, is, dr- is drinking your own urine a, a good way to? To get urea, Doctor P. Um, I know quite a few people who have done it and uh, seem to be very healthy. And it's been practiced for about three or four thousand years. But uh, uh, I don't know uh, how pleasant it. I think most people would uh, prefer to use the purified chemical rather than mm-hmm. their own urine. Yeah. Uh, there's a, a funny video of a man in India, in India who is uh, preparing products from cow urine. Uh, it, it's a, a very common folk remedy around the world. So there you go. If you, uh, if you don't fancy the idea of uh, consuming your own urine, you can use urea as a uh, purified form. Did you? Okay, I'm not too sure if the call is still there. Anyway, that that was the answer. Thank you for your question, call. I don't know if you can hear us still, but I uh, appreciate you calling in. So uh, yeah, it's six minutes to. If anybody wants to get a quick question in, quick question in, right? Excuse me. Uh, they're welcome nine two three three nine one one if you're in the area, or the one eight hundred number is one eight hundred KMUD RAD. So Dr. Pete, uh, let's just quickly talk about um, psoriasis and urea and inflammatory bowel disease, given that there is a kind of parallel between psoriasis and inflammatory bowel disease in terms of the inflammation aspect of uh, degenerative conditions and urea's uh, use in both psoriasis uh, and and possibly um, with inflammatory bowel disorder. And eczema, it's used in eczema. And eczema, right, because um, the the science shows that um, urea actually blocks... Uh, sorry, I was thinking about tumor necrosis factor, that was it, and um, curcuma. So in uh, turmeric, uh, it blocks the active uh, compound curcumin blocks tumor necrosis factor, and that is implicated in a lot of inflammatory conditions of which skin disorders and inflammatory bowel disease could be exacerbated or even caused by. Do you have any... Uh, any well, uh, one, one thing to consider when you have both uh, bowel and skin symptoms is that uh, the bowel is actually causing or, or uh, contributing to the skin problem uh, and eliminating uh, gluten, for example, sometimes mm-hmm. 
authors have both the bowel and the skin problem uh, because some of the same enzymes are activated by inflammation uh, that uh, cause the premature uh, hardening and flakiness of the skin in psoriasis. That same process is activated by gluten and other inflammation-producing agents in the intestine. Um, the uh, uh, process of psoriasis is uh, an accelerated uh, cell division, which is probably caused by the uh, overhydration and uh, possibly a lack of the right balance of estrogen, progesterone, and thyroid, and uh, maybe a deficiency of, of vitamin A, which is a restraining influence. Or vitamin D, right? Uh, yeah, both vitamin D and A can restrain uh, the rate of uh, multiplication. And besides uh, having a very fast cell division in psoriasis, it, it divides quickly a few times and then prematurely ages and collapses into the flaky, horny, uh, dry uh, condition. And uh, uh, urea has been demonstrated to uh, delay or prevent that premature hardening process by uh, governing the expression of, of the genes uh, so that the uh, senility-producing uh, uh, proteins aren't produced so early. Uh, and uh, keeping uh, the, uh, the cell in a vital state longer and delaying the uh, both the replication and the uh, premature aging. So it sounds like urea can be injected, or doctors are injecting it into cancer cells. It can be injected into the bloodstream. It can be rubbed on topically for skin conditions, and it can be taken orally. Um, yeah, there are uh, creams available uh, on on the internet at drugstores and so on, uh, containing anything from five percent to forty percent. Uh, urea, forty uh, percent is almost a concentrated solution, and uh, it's very effective for uh, treating uh, uh, several ichthyosis and and uh, uh, psoriasis, uh, various skin uh, conditions. Uh, and some uh, doctors and pharmacists might tell you that it's used to uh, uh, remove toenails or to uh, remove dead tissue and so on. Uh, and so they all scare you and, and say that because you can remove calluses with it, it, it must be dangerous to good skin. But uh, uh, the 40% solutions are, are very soothing and, and therapeutic. Uh, it is now widely used for treating the skin inflammation of, of breast cancer patients who have been uh, exposed to so much X-ray uh, that the skin has been damaged, and it prevents the uh, inflammation and fibrosis uh, produced by x-rays. And it's also, um, the topical skin creams are, of urea are also very similar in action to how Comfrey works with the allantoin. We, we, we've got about a minute left, so I really need to hold it right there so we don't get uh, too overextended. Dr. Pete, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate you uh, giving your time the way you do, as freely as you do. And uh, let me just tell people how they can find more out about you. 
Okay, thank you. Okay, good night. Thank okay, you. for those people who've listened, uh, thanks so much for listening, and for those callers that called in, thanks for uh, putting your questions in. We always uh, always appreciate questions. Uh, it lets us know that people are out there listening, apart from anything else. Um, okay, so for people that want to find out more about Dr. Pete, www.raypeat.com, R-A-Y-P-E-A-T, has a wide list, uh, reading list of uh, published material. It's fully referenced, and... Um,